Good morning and welcome to episode 14 of the Quickie Podcast. Thank you for being here. Today my guest is Patrick Toasty. And if he could describe himself using only three words, he would say that he is warm and toasty. Insert laughter. The laughing, second guessing, bad joke. I'm sorry, Patrick. Patrick is the co-founder and creative director of High Hopes Design, which is a cannabis-focused branding and design agency based out of Seattle, Washington. He has got great energy. I love my chats with Patrick. And despite the fact that he is a Boston Bruins fan, we get along just fine. No worries. We get along fine. So let's get to the interview. Everyone, Patrick Toasty from High Hopes Design. Welcome to the Quickie Podcast, the daily interview show where we talk to graphic designers about their journey to the creative field, and we do it in 30 minutes or less. So, are you ready for a Quickie? Patrick, what's cooking? Not much, man. Uh, a little shortage of coffee, so I would have loved to have a second cup by now, but I did the dreaded pulled open the drawer, and it was all gone. So I'm going to have to put my second cup on pause for a little bit. <laughs> right. Well, I hope you're ready and jazzed up here. Yeah, yeah. I got one in, so that's all that matters. Awesome. Well, briefly tell the listeners about yourself. Yeah, so name's Patrick Toasty. Um, I'm currently residing in Seattle with my fiance and my dog, Kona, uh, but not, not from Seattle originally. I'm actually from a small farm town in Rhode Island, um, but then my journey took me to Long Beach, California, where I went to college and spent a couple of years there, so probably about like seven, eight years total, and then, um, yeah, then moved my way up to Seattle about four years ago, and as you stated, I am a creative director and also co-founder of High Hopes Design, uh, where we help cannabis businesses unlock their potential through creative solutions, and those solutions tend to be, you know, branding, packaging, web design, and marketing. Um, some things, though, I guess uh, uh, less about my history in business is uh, I like tequila. And uh, <laughs> sorry, Dave, um, I know up there in Vancouver, but I'm, I'm a wicked Boston Bruins fan. So it's all right. I'll allow it. I'll allow it for now. You're the guest. I got to be polite. So. Yeah. Hey, well, you got the Yankees hat on, so it's almost like it was planned. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, what was your childhood like? And do you feel that you had a creative childhood? Yeah, so I, I I always naturally just had an interest in art, um, and eventually once my, I think my parents recognized that, they put me in out-of-school, like, private art classes, um, and I think the story for me that, at least I've been told, and I have vague memories of, was uh, in elementary school, we had this assignment where we had to do a self-portrait, and, and all the kids were, you know, trying to draw themselves as accurate as possible, I mean, it's elementary school, so none of them are really that accurate, but um, I made the choice to make my face blue. And I also had a very like Pablo Picasso sense to everything. I, I didn't want, my eyes were different sizes and, you know, I took a very abstract approach to it and the art teacher recognized that is, is very different. And she, you know, being an art teacher recognized that that uh, was, was rare and uh, felt my parents should try to nurture, nourish that a bit. So from that point, uh, like I said, that was probably third grade or something, second, fourth grade, somewhere in there. Um, ever since then, she decided, you know what, let's put, put them in art, out of school art classes, which I took pretty much all the way up into high school, um, about halfway through my high school career. And 
you know, focused on like the fine arts of things. I did oil painting. I loved soft pastels, but my real go-to was charcoal. I love charcoal drawings and just getting dirty and, and using the side of my hand to create shadows. I just love the kind of messy nature of it. Um, and I, I definitely have to give a shout out to Gary Farias. He's uh, kind of the art teacher I took my classes with probably for about 10 years. So he really helped nurture that, that kind of artistic sense to me. So um, ever since a kid, it just kind of became a, who I was. That's cool. And your parents definitely like nurtured that and accepted, you know, the creative field is a legitimate thing. Yeah, my dad was always a creative guy. And I just think he never capitalized on it. So he also saw that it was like, hey, this is something maybe I missed out on. You obviously have a little bit of a creative touch like he did. And I think they just wanted to kind of show me that I, I could do something with it. That's cool. Very interesting. Yeah. So then take us back to when you first started noticing uh, design out in the world. What did you start seeing? So for me, it probably came a little later just because, like I said, art, ever since a young kid, it was just kind of what I did. I didn't think it was special, unique. Like I played soccer, I, I tried guitar and I did art, you know, or I, I played drums. I, you know, I played soccer and then I did art. It just became like another activity for me. But I think I started noticing it the most um, once I decided to make that jump for college and pursue a design career, um, decided to go to Cal State Long Beach and try to go aim for their uh, graphic design program, which was an impacted program. So I knew I was going to have to take a little bit of commitment. But um, that's that last senior year of high school into my freshman year of college was probably when I started noticing the most. And what I really got attracted to was actually street art. That was like the, the rise of Shepard Ferry, Banksy, uh, you know, Steve Powers, Barry McGee. Like these were all big names, you know, um, that were kind of popping up. And I'm not it wasn't so much into like graffiti as much as like the street art side of things. Um, like I said, I was right in that movement where being in LA, the, you know, the MoMA came out and they did that big exhibit on street art and it was a big deal. And I was all involved in that. And I love just kind of looking around LA and, and like I said, not so much the graffiti, but more of the street art, making a commentary. I love the, the conceptual side of things like, wow, that was so clever. Um, and also like, I mean, I probably subconsciously was also noticing things like composition and layout and how they were using the natural, uh, you know, building structure and stuff. Um, so that's for me was, I think I started first noticing just design, but you know, more than just art as an expression, kind of like design as a commentary and, and things like that. <laughs> that's super cool. I did not know that about you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was like all in on the Shepherd Ferry thing when it first started. You know, I, like I said, I, I, at first that's what I wanted to do. I would go around Long Beach at night and, and not tag, but just try to do street art. I was all about making faces on stuff. So if you know anything about Los Angeles, you have these alleyways, just usually full, like these really uh, uh, like easy to tra kind of get through alleyways, very well paved and stuff. So I would just get on my skateboard and just ride around Long Beach and find like a, a, an abandoned door and draw a face on it or something. Like I, I loved kind of uh, creating things just in, in the wild. That's cool. So now that you're, you know, more of an established designer, you've got your feet under you, you're moving along in your career. Uh, what is something that you wish you knew when you first started out? Yeah, so this was a funny one. Uh, I think the first thing that comes to mind, uh, Dave, honestly, is short keys. I wish I knew all the short keys I know now. because uh, <laughs> Not because I'm lazy, but I've learned being a good designer is also being an efficient designer. 
you know, clients, especially when you're, you're selling to clients, time is money. Um, not that you want to do things quick, but you want to do things efficiently. And it was, if there's any way to come up with a solution more efficiently, uh, you should probably pursue that angle. And it's simple enough as short keys make such a difference. Uh, you know, less clicking through navigation and stuff. The more you can just kind of organically know these muscle movements, the more efficient you can be. And, and I, I think the better designer you become. Uh, but outside of something more uh, tool-based like the short keys, I think for me, something I really wish I knew, and I'm sure every designer listening can echo this, is how to price my services in my trade, how to add, how to treat myself like a business. Because I think in school, we're very much led on that designers are artists, which we are, but we're in that weird zone where we're artists, but then most of us become business owners or, or freelancers, and, and we don't know how to price and structure ourselves like a business, to be honest. So those that would have been saved me a lot of trouble. It would have saved me some bad contracts and, and probably getting taken advantage of a few times. Oh, well said. Yeah, well said. I like the short key one, though. I like the, you know, the, the tactile, or not, tactile is not the right word, but the it's a quick thing that you can check off on a to-do list. It's not like work hard or, you know, try everything, you know, it's just something short keys. Somebody could hammer short keys out in a couple of days. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm all about getting a cheat sheet, whatever you need, but learn those short keys. It's something I always try to tell our, our junior designers we work with our junior designers. I've worked in the past is like, I know it seems mundane, but learn them. It's going to save you so much time. For sure. So then what's been the most influential design of your life so far, either something you have seen or something you've been a part of. So I think for me, partly as the project, but partly probably as a life experience as well, was this uh, Orca card project, excuse me, that I did in uh, my last year of college. So in the program I'm in, there's always one big final product project, mm-hmm. and ours was the Orca card, which is like the transit card of Hong Kong. Oh, and- okay. Yeah, and we were uh, work put into teams, and we had to design and concept our own advertising campaign about what this card is, and primarily focus it on like visitors and tourists, like because it's really great card that you can use for all different transit, but people we didn't know about it. And it wasn't a commission project or anything. It was just put on by our school. But the really great part is we, our school partnered with the Hong Kong School of Design. So their class was also doing it. So then for the kind of pinnacle moment, we, during spring break time, we actually flew out to Hong Kong and presented the work at the Hong Kong School of Design with the other team. So it was really cool to get like, not only the, the, point of view from you know uh our our side of things as california students but to get the point of view of you know uh, students in hong kong and how they perceived it so um it was just a really awesome experience not only to be able to design something for an international client per se but it was just a, a really great life experience we got to you know hang out with these students and get to know them they took us around town we, we drank way too much <laughs> and it was just an awesome learning experience just getting involved in the design community i probably would have never had an opportunity to be a part of that's really cool so what has been the most challenging time in your design career so far? Um, what made it challenging and how did you get through it? Oh, geez. Um, I, I think just cause it's so fresh, just, just starting high hopes uh, for the second time about nine months, eight, nine months ago. Uh, it was a big jump. Um, you know, something like me, you, me and you were talking about before we started the call about, you know, this entrepreneurial spirit, something I've always kind of had inside me, but just making that leap. Uh, was definitely, you know, and it's very cliche taking the leap, you know, but people are right. It's scary. It's tough. But um, so that it was very challenging. But, you know, something for all the viewers as well or listeners is it's not impossible. You know, Um, people are right. Work hard. 
be patient, you know, be a good person and things will come around. So um, it's, it's been challenging. And I think the challenging part is just kind of keeping that mentality when there's ups and downs through the road. It's terrifying and yet oddly freeing, even though you end up working more than you would have otherwise. Yeah, it, it's tough too because I'm sure, uh, Dave, you you've echoed certain uh, you know uh, ideologies like myself. But for me, it, it the hardest part too is also like it's not work; it's it's like my passion. So actually, I always joke with my fiance about it. it's like if I have free time, I don't want to watch TV, I don't want to you know uh, read a book, I I want to just work like because it's it's fun and, it, and it's 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 passionate of mine. So it, it makes the challenge a little bit easier. But uh, definitely, like you said, that that freeness, um, although. Uh, exciting can be a huge challenge and terrifying at times. Yeah. I mean, she could always update you on The Bachelor later on, right? Yeah. Hey, that's my soft spot. I don't miss that. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Um, So social media. Has social media changed graphic design or the process of design? And do you think that that's beneficial or harmful? You know, I I was actually, when you you sent over these questions, Dave, I, I was actually kind of didn't really have much thought on this one at first. Not something I really thought of, especially considering what for me personality wise was I'm very uh, unsure about social media. I'm not a huge, huge social media guy. Not that I'm not savvy about it. It's just, I'm not sure I, I like the more morals and grounds and ethics of it at all times. I think there's a lot of shadow uh, smoke and mirrors goes on in social media and just, you know, uh, outside of design, just its effects on, you know, human mentality and all these things I think can be overly negative than positive. But when it comes to design, you made me kind of think about it again. And, and I'm going to kind of focus on Instagram because it's really the platform I use the most. Yep. Um, I think it's been really beneficial in that sense because it really becomes a, a secondary portfolio. And what's awesome is it, the more I thought about it, it, it becomes an opportunity for designers and creatives to get their eyes on work Mm-hmm. where those eyes may have never landed before. Because if you think about it, even, you know, I, I'm young enough where I never had a physical portfolio, but still, you know, that website digital portfolio age that I, I'm, I grew up in and now we are in, um, you would not always get people on your site. You know, there, the thing about me in Seattle, there's thousands of designers up here. The chance of someone coming across my portfolio is few and far between. But on, the, on an Instagram platform, um, because that media is just digested quicker, and, and more often, it gives it a chance for designers to get recognized again, uh, or not again, but more often. And like I said, on those eyes that probably would have never came across their portfolio in the first place. Um, so that for that point, um, I, again, I'm speaking to Instagram specifically. I think it's been really beneficial in the design process. Um, I know myself, my feed is strictly designers and studios. I really don't follow much else. So for me, it's also a great source of inspiration. Um, yeah. Yeah, my feed's like design, design, branding, all that kind of stuff. And then like the odd like Ferrari just thrown in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah hey, we all that got all got that one. I think mine, like I said, going to back a little bit about me, I think it's like design, design studio, Boston Bruins, design, design studio, Boston Bruins, Boston <laughs> Red Sox. <laughs> so yeah, no, that was a great question. I'm glad you threw it in there. Cool. Uh, so who is a designer or a brand that you look up to or closely follow and what is it about them that you like? 
Yeah, so it, it, oddly enough, you know, and I think it's probably a flaw uh, to a degree as myself as a creative, I don't really have one designer or agency or anything that I just kind of aspire to be or anything, which is unique because I remember back in college, we had a professor in our art program who told us, who asked us the same question and, and everybody said Steven Sagmeister because it's the only person anybody could remember. And he thought it was, he made a great point of if you were going to be a baseball player, you would have a favorite baseball player. So why don't you have a favorite designer or someone? So um, in that sense, I've always looked up to David Carson to a degree, even though I've heard stories where he, he might not have been the best person uh, or have the best morals. But I think uh, if we look strictly at his creative career, I love the the kind of uh, challenging the status quo that he brought during the 90s and, and really with no design experience, flipping the industry on its head. So um, in a sense, I've always kind of looked up to him, not somebody I keep in, you know, up to date with on the daily, but um, kind of those areas I do like to keep myself up with is honestly my, my fellow classmates, the, the people I went to school with, not because I'm, you know, wondering where are they doing now? Am I doing better than them? But uh, I love seeing the people I know and care about flourish and succeed. So I love kind of just checking in on a few of my really close classmates just to see how they're doing. Uh, for example, you know, um, a couple of my classmates, Nick, Tan, uh, Nick and Tan, Nick, um, Killian and Tanner Woodbury, they recently started Fourth and Back, a creative studio down in Los Angeles, and, and are doing really great things with UCR and, and some other great arts programs and such. And, uh, you know, a buddy of mine, Gabe Ferreira, is a fantastic, really, really uh, well-renowned designer now uh, who's worked with Landor. He's currently at Google. Um, so I just love keeping up with my classmates, not only seeing what they're doing, but seeing the work they're putting out and, and also where they took their career, you know? Um, because I think we've all started in the same place and very quickly gone our own directions. And it's really interesting. Um, yeah, that is cool to sort of see who, who niches down and focuses where. Yeah, and especially as I have started and began to run High Hopes, I also want to look at, like, who can I utilize? And, and these are people I, I grew with, I trusted, we learned design together. So, I, of course, I want to bring them in and, and, you know, have them help me and I can help them in any way I can. Um, so, I definitely have yeah, been, you know, not only interested in them for high hopes, but uh, I would say just in general, other agencies is, has been a big, uh, somebody just kind of a generic area that I've been closely following primarily because I've been starting my own agency. I want to see how other agencies communicate their services, communicate their value, uh, structure their presence. Um, one specifically is basic agency. Um, I'm just a huge fan of not only the, the work they do digitally, but just the way they carry themselves, the, the, the way they promote them, their, their business. Um, they're one that I, I am a huge fan of. Very good. So then how can design make a difference in people's lives? Yeah, so th this, I think, is like a, a definitely a big lofty question. And, and I think there's a lot of, you know, really great ways that I think design has, you know, been able to change lives on a, a local and international impact. Um, but, you know, I, I like to talk about things where it's a little bit more personal, you know, so for me, how my design has made an impact on people's lives. Um, I've been seeing more recently as I've run high hopes because, you know, although I'm, I'm not naive and I know branding and marketing won't save make or break a business um, because at the end of the day, if you're a bad business owner, your business is going to fail or if, um, you know, pr troubles come down the road, Branding and marketing might not even matter. There's, there's all these other things. As I've run a business, I know all these other uh, areas can come and impact me negatively. However, I've seen the work I can do can really increase the chances of uh, a successful company. Um, I like knowing that you know, the work I do can, can really help bring the company success, um, especially if we do things right. So for me, it's really nice to know that my design can help someone succeed 
can help somebody get their dreams, can help somebody uh, buy their mom a house one day or whatever their goal is. You know, I really like knowing that um, the work I do can make that large of an impact on our clients. Oh, well said. I like that answer. Thank you, man. So take us to a design or a project that you were a part of that did not go well or bring the desired result. Uh, what was that like? How did, how did that feel? Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this one a bit, and I, I don't think this is definitely me being uh, braggadocious by any means. I couldn't think of a project per se where like, I go over the logo or packaging or whatever it was, and it just went terribly. Um, but I, that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. It maybe just didn't come to mind. But, but one thing that did come to mind, and again, this, this is a lot of this is coming from me as a, the creative director and co-founder of High Hopes recently, um, wasn't as much as a project that went wrong, but a pitch. Uh, we were pitching for a, a website design for a large cannabis dispensary that was a, making a lot of acquisitions, was growing very fast in the East Coast. And we had gotten the work through our uh, partner agency down in San Francisco, Foot Traffic. They do digital marketing and we kind of combine our services with theirs to help our clients because we kind of have complementing services. So they were already a client of our partner agency. So it felt like we had this in the bag. It was a great, you know, a great contract that would have really helped us out. Um, and, you know, we like I said, we felt like it was it was a shoe in although we weren't acting that way that was kind of the writing on the wall and then it came down to it and we lost the contract and the reason mostly was a couple of technical things but the biggest part was that they didn't like me so that was that was a tough part to, to learn that uh sometimes the way i carry myself or the way i communicate can have such a negative impact that my business can lose business or lose a contract um but it was good to know because now it's a hard learning lesson that uh, that you don't learn in school, you have to learn through experience. And I think it's made me not only a better person, but a better designer, a better business owner. But at the time, it, it was really hard. It, it was a hard thing to know that the way I acted uh, negatively impacted the, the lead so much where they decided to go with another agency. Yep. Yep. Uh, great story, man. I've, I've personally felt that in, uh, in meetings, you know, where I feel like something's just not jiving and the end result is that I, I just, I lose the account. I don't get it. Yeah. And, and I asked my business partners, of course, you know, please be honest, is there anything I did, anything, you know, anything I said, and it, it just wasn't a good sync. You know, I didn't, I wasn't rude. I wasn't interruptive. It just, the way I carry myself just didn't gel with them and, and it's going to happen. And like I said to all the listeners out there, just, you know, when that comes to you, whether it's a project or a pitch, just keep your chin up, aim for the next one. And, and like I said, that was probably about two, three weeks ago. And, you know, uh, the karma comes around and we just closed the deal yesterday for the, just the same amount. So it, it all comes back full circle, but I'm definitely glad it happened now because I can, I can change the way I act. I can change my way that I communicate to keep things positive moving forward. Yeah. My, uh, so my background is, as you know, is in the sales field and being, you almost have to be a, a chameleon where you need to be able to read the, the, the energy in the room and the energy with the person you're meeting with almost immediately and shape shift yourself or like, you know, have multiple personalities and be a little bit nuts and just be able to quickly shift your personality to be able to connect with them. Because maybe your traditional approach is too, maybe it's too in their face. Maybe it's too shy and quiet. Maybe it's, and you just have to be able to quickly mold to what they need to receive and what they would feel and to get them to open up and warm up. 
Yeah, it, you make great points. And, and I think a big part of it too is kind of going back to one of my other responses. Like this isn't stuff they teach you in school. Like, although I'm a business owner and thus as a small business owner, I'm also a salesman of sorts. Uh, every designer out there is a salesman. You have to sell your, either if, if it's a freelance project for a restaurant or, you know, a project for a cousin's relative or something, you, you still have to sell yourself. You have to sell your value. You have to sell your work. And that's not taught in school. Um, so it's one of those things that like you said, you got to get those hard learning lessons, um, you know, critique, uh, improve and, and move on. Take the punches in the face and learn from them as fast as you can. Definitely, man. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, what's a project that you've been a part of that you are the most proud of the one that makes your heart sing or the biggest feather in your cap? Yeah, th this one was an easy one for me, man. Uh, this project had to be my, uh, the KEXP logo redesign project I did when I was at Publicis over here in Seattle uh, before, you know, when I first moved up here. So um, as the story goes, I, I, I just started, you know, um, at Publicis up here um, in Seattle, which is an advertising agency. However, they did a lot of work with the local nonprofit radio station, KEXP, which has been around forever. It's a true staple of local Seattle. You know, if, if you're in the area or you from Seattle, you know, KXP, you love and support KXP. And they wanted to do, um, they were just about to launch a new building. Um, they were moving locations. They were moving from a small office uh, off Dexter to a giant new building um, at the Seattle center that was going to have like a coffee shop in it. They're going to do a lot, you know, you'll be able to see them doing the, the recordings. They had live music going on. Like they, they have all these plans in, in, in addition to the move, they wanted to rebrand themselves. They felt their logo was a little stuck in the nineties, a little outdated. And they asked publicists to lend a helping hand on their rebranding. Re um, and I was chosen to lead that project. So it was about a team of five designers on it and I was lead and, um, it, I got to, you know, redesign KXP's logo and it, it, it was awesome. It came out great. They're a fantastic client, not only, um, not only interfacing with them as a designer, but just what they do for the community, you know, they're nonprofit, they're a real heritage staple of Seattle. Um, so it was really awesome that, you know, I got to work with them on that close of a level, but also, you know, the, the final logo was a, you know, a huge product of, of my creativity and our team's creativity that I got to lead. So it's really great where now when I drive by the Seattle center, it's a giant logo that I did on the wall. And it's really cool. Cause in Seattle, um, if you donate to them at any amount, you get a nice like, donate sticker, which people tend to put on the back of a kind of like a staple bumper sticker of Seattle. So I think daily I walk around the city and I see my yellow, uh, logo I did on the back of cars, uh, everywhere. So I've even seen them in different States. So it's really awesome for me to be a new designer in the city, to be able to leave such a long and lasting footprint. Um, I imagine for years to come, um, that logo will still be their flag. And, and it's just really awesome to know that I was able to be a part of that. What a great opportunity. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm forever grateful for the, you know, the leadership at publicists that had faith in me, the client that had faith in me and uh, the great team I worked with um, that was able to, to help, bring that sort of creativity and the end solution to the table. Um, mm -hmm. So it's definitely, that one was a shoe in. That is for sure uh, the one that makes my heart sing. And like you said, the biggest feather in my cap. Well said. Uh, so then what piece of advice would you offer to new design grads looking to make, uh, looking to learn or make their mark in the industry? Yeah. And, and I've touched on a few things here, so I don't want to be repetitive by any means, but um, so one, I will say that I haven't touched on before during this call is uh, a big one is listen first, talk second. Um, I, 
I think the power of listening in our field is is greatly underutilized um, and not taken advantage of because uh, not only does I think it communicates to the client uh, certain values and such, but I really believe it results in better work. The more you listen, you, the more you can understand the problems the client have and you can provide specific solutions to those problems. So that one is more uh, kind of a, how designers should carry themselves. And then another one I had um, that I like to echo a lot is, and this can vary, I think, depending where you are, are in the graphic design creative field. But uh, personally, I like to think of myself as a problem solver, not an artist. Um, for me, it's not about self-expression. I'm not here to, uh, I want to put the design I like into your business. Um, I like to consider myself almost like a visual mathematician. Uh, I'm just here to problem solve. You know, uh, I listen to your problems. I provide, I think, the best solutions and, and we get to an answer. And sometimes I've been there and uh, the client loves the work and it's great work, but it might not be my personal preference. The design I personally created might not be something I would put on my own wall uh, just because it's not my style. But to me, that's successful because it's all about the client. You know, it's about their goals, their wishes. So um, that's one thing I also like to kind of give as a somewhat piece of advice to designers, especially in certain fields mm -hmm. is think of yourself as a problem solver, not an artist. So true. So true. So last question here, what is one design product tool website or community uh, that you just could not live without? Yeah. So uh, this one I sat with a bit and I think there was obvious ones I could go to like, Oh, my Wacom tablet. Oh, Adobe illustrator. Like, yeah, for me, those were kind of no brainers, but I kind of wanted to get a little loftier and a little uh, headier with my response. And, and I thought the one thing I couldn't live without in my creative career is honestly constructive criticism. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I, it, 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 for me, it fuels my creativity. I love, you know, being challenged outside of my boundaries and my limits by clients. Just, you know, even if it's a, a simple, hey, we love what you did, but could you take it further? Or, you know, I, I love this. I, I'm, I'm just fueled by constructive criticism because I really think it results in better work. And it, and it works well with, as we touched on before, Dave, that can't do it mentality of like, hey, you know, I've, I've tried and tried and tried and I've done my best. And then the client continues to push me getting over that hump of, you know, I, I can't bring anything new to the table. Once you get past that, sometimes you find your best solutions. Yeah, man, that was awesome. Great. dude. Yeah. No, that's to, uh, hang on to the line after I stop recording here, but I wanted to publicly thank you for being on the show. It's been great chatting with you. You had some dynamite answers. Hey, well, I appreciate you having me, man. Like I said, I, I love this, what you got going on. I look forward to listening to all the different podcasts you have out there. And uh, I look forward to grabbing a beer when I'm up in Vancouver next time. Appreciate it. That'd be it. Looking forward to it. All right. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Patrick Toasty from High Hopes Design out of Seattle, Washington. So wherever you're listening to this show, whether it's iTunes or Spotify, please leave a rating, leave a review, leave some comments there. Um, it really helps me learn and grow and find out where I'm doing not so great and where I can improve and uh, lets me know what I'm doing well. So and I appreciate all sorts of feedback there. Also, if you are a graphic designer or illustrator or artist and you've been in the game for a couple of, year, couple of years or you've been in the game 20, 30 years, um, definitely head over to thequickiepodcast.com. Leave us a little bit of information and we'll reach out to you about being a guest on the show. Be great to hear from you, hear your story, hear your perspective. Well, thanks for your time. Enjoy the rest of your day.